politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, and all of it in between, even though it is perplexing the times we live in. But we got to move on. We got to find solutions. There are not many. But at least we understand that what we're doing is not working. So we need to plow forward here at Sierra Podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today. It is Wednesday, and folks, if you're sick of the BS and the vapid sophomoric talking points of every other fake conservative talk show, well, we need you to give us a five-star rating here on iTunes so we pass over all of the empty rhetoric. And it's because of this empty rhetoric for the past generation that we have elected Republicans that we have in the Senate, in the House, governorships, even state legislatures – And we're not making progress. It doesn't mean we don't have opportunities to make progress. But in general, we're not. So it was announced today that in the month of October, there were over 300,000 illegals that were caught at the border. And I'm thinking, is there any number that would force the GOP to actually confront the left and say, we will not fund this one day longer? A million, two million, five million, what is it going to take? But instead, we can't have a government shutdown. So yesterday, once again, they passed a budget with all Democrat support. I think two voted no, but you know, usually people, you'll have one or two that have some sort of a protest. But let's just say every Democrat in the House supported a complete blank check, funding inflation, funding Hamas, funding Iran, funding the open border, funding the Green New Deal funding the Gestapo tactics from the FBI, literally going after innocent people. And 93 Republicans voted no. They always strategically get a majority of Republicans to still vote yes. And this was the big victory of installing Mike Johnson as Speaker, all the while extolling the virtues of process and saying we can't have a government shutdown. What's worse is he bypassed the Rules Committee because Chip Roy would have taken it down, and he put it on the suspension calendar. This literally would have caused a civil war under McCarthy. Um, We would have had much more leverage, but instead it's all forgiven because it's Mike Johnson. Job well done by the fake, aimless, rudderless, lack of strategic thinking, reactionary right. So there is where we are, worse off than we've ever been. And I don't know, folks, I'm just in a really bad mood today. I don't see much hope here in terms of strategy. So as I think about this more, I'm going to turn a little bit overseas. We're going to have a special guest on from Israel to talk about what's going on there, um, what matters to us, how the uh, Biden administration is literally saturated with uh, terrorist sympathizers. Um, and then as we as we go through that, maybe we'll just see what we can do. But for now, what you can do is invest in gold because <laughs> with the GOP leadership we have today, let me just tell you, they're talking about inflation ebbing. It's a joke. Nobody believes it. It's all fake numbers. Maybe I'll get into that a little bit more tomorrow, how they fudge the Inflation numbers, the same way they fudge the jobs numbers and the GDP, 4.9% GDP growth. The reality is that China has now 
dumped 40% of their treasuries. Uh, Russia, Japan, uh, others are doing the same. And inflation is off to the races. That's why now is the time to invest in gold with Birch Gold by texting Daniel to 989898. They will send you a free info kit guide and give you a phone number to call one of their economists who will help you through all the particularities of how to transfer your IRA or 401k into something of value because clearly this is hitting the fan. Again, text Daniel to 989898 today. And, and, and folks, it really is. I, I marvel and laugh at how they're like, we averted a government shutdown. You averted nothing. This thing is out of control. And, uh, you know, the sad thing is, you know, I would laugh if the government would burn itself down, but it's not. It's burning us down because we're going to suffer through the Venezuela-style quality of life. I mean, it's funny. You have all these uh, measures, the jobs numbers, the CPI numbers, the GDP numbers, and they're like, yeah, it's a great economy. And then you look at all the consumer surveys, and it's it's like recession levels. Um, everything is fake. It's the new safe and effective uh, the government economic data is is kind of like the Pfizer uh, clinical trial data. But that's where we are. Nothing has changed. I want to make it very clear. Nothing has changed in this party. Um, they're now having a Spirit of Lincoln gala dinner hosted by the Log Cabin Republicans at the Reagan Presidential Library and Museum featuring our good buddy Bruce Jenner. In a dress, receiving the Game Changer Award. I promise you I'm not making this up. Imagine what Reagan would think of that, but that's where the Republican Party is today. And then you got Nikki Haley out there um, talking about how she wants to register everyone online so nobody could be anonymous online. And what you're seeing in Iowa now with Nikki Haley and Trump teaming up against DeSantis is the embodiment of, of where we are now. It really is. Where on the one hand, it's Trump all the time, but on the other hand, that's all in terms of social media, conservative podcasts, talk show hosts. So they're, they're busy with Trump. But on the policy sphere, it's all Nikki Haley. Now, you might laugh. Nikki Haley's not going to go anywhere, and she won't go anywhere in the presidential election. But I'm here to tell you that most Republicans in the House, in the Senate, in governorships, and all the way up and down the ballot that are in elected office, they, they roughly reflect the worldview of Nikki Haley. So while this, this Trump-Haley alliance embodies what we're facing, that McConnell and, and that ilk, the establishment, got smart. Cosmetically, they'll give kind of the Trump people the platform to talk themselves to death. While it relates to donors and real policy outcomes, the party has not changed one iota. And the candidates aren't changing. Whatever, we'll continue advocating for what we do. I don't know what you do. Email me, danielhorowitz at startmail.com if you have a solution. But I want you to listen to this clip about uh, from Nikki Haley on legal immigration. She was at some sort of a diner in New Hampshire. About 40 seconds here. Take a listen to our good friend Nikki. When it comes to legal immigration, it's a broken system. It shouldn't take someone 10 years to become a citizen. So, <clears throat> but what we need to do is reform it. So for too long, Republican and Democrat presidents dealt with immigration based on a quota. 
we'll take X number this year, we'll take X number next year, the debate is on the number. It's the wrong way to look at it. We need to do it based on merit. We need to go to our industries and say, what do you need that you don't have? So think agriculture, think tourism, think tech. We want the talent that's going to make us better. Then you bring people in that can fill those needs. All right, so folks, you heard that. We need to go to our industries and say, what is it you need that you don't have? So she believes immigration is all about labor, not about who we are as a people. Hey, what do you guys need? Oh, you need more Pakistanis? Here you go. And that's literally why our country's going to hell in a handbasket. By the way, it was a value established in our immigration system from our first federal laws. The states used to take care of it. In the 1880s, they banned contract labor. They didn't want immigration being built based off of company demand. Because what's good for your company's bottom line is not necessarily good for that common cause we talked about yesterday in George Washington's farewell address, the continuity and the cohesiveness of a nation. But that worldview of Nikki Haley, I promise you, is the worldview on immigration of 90% of elected Republicans. That has not changed one iota. So here we are, holding the bag, and, uh, and nothing changes. And what is so scary is we have zero leverage over anything the Biden administration does now. See, when they have a presidency and then you come in and you flip the house, there's one purpose and only one purpose only to winning back that house, and that is the budget. And yeah, we understand you're not going to get 100% of what you want. But the understanding is that the more egregious, destructive, and unpopular things that the president is doing, you will not fund. And you will have a fight over it. But now that they have telegraphed that even this new you know, conservative house and conservative speaker, they are just as fearful of any degree of government shutdown, no matter what the issue is, no matter what happens – there's no deterrent. So yesterday, Biden announced that they are unfreezing another $10 billion in Iranian assets. I mean, you got to give them credit. Go big or go home. You know, they're like, yeah, we love Israel. We'll give them money. Of course, it's all about giving money. Give money to everyone. Give money to Israel. Give money to Israel's enemies. And there's no backstop. How are we going to stop that? The budget. Well, they gave that away. They gave it away. Did you know that there is a new report from the Government Accountability Office that 25 agencies failed to properly report their expenditures to USA spending? So in other words, they're not even transparent about their spending, and Republicans won't even address that in the budget bill. Nothing, not a single cut. Remember, they're going to debate all these appropriation bills, and some they'll pass out of the House, pass some amendments, won't pass other amendments. But they don't have an intention of standing behind a single element of that. So I don't know, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know. But I do know that the legislative sessions for the states are coming up soon, and we got to prepare, do our best 
Finally, finally, the pressure has been brought to bear. Things are so bad in Texas. We talked about yes, yesterday a little bit about uh, um, states taking over the legal immigration issue. We talked about that with the Florida Attorney General. So finally, finally, it's gotten this bad in Texas. We got enough support to pass SB4. That's the bill that is going to set up a direct challenge to USV Arizona that allows Texas law enforcement to arrest illegal aliens for even if they didn't commit any other crime, just for coming here illegally, they could arrest them. And, you know, we'll see what happens. The governor is expected to sign along with he just signed the bill banning public and private COVID vaccine mandates. Thank you, Senator Bob Hall, for your hard work. So finally, finally making a little bit of progress in Texas. But we need to build on that. I'm telling you. The more pressure you bring to bear on the legislatures, the more we're going to make progress. At a federal level, I really don't know what we can do. So that's local, that's federal, but I do want to get to um, international and uh, focus a little bit on what is going on with Hamas, what's going on with Hezbollah there, what does it mean for, for America. Our, our interview segment today is sponsored by our friends at Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative mobile carrier. They support our military. They support our veterans. They support religious freedom, sanctity of marriage, life, and Second Amendment. That's pretty novel for a major service to have a company that shares your values. Now, you might be like, well, it's a big pain, Daniel. No, it's not. Go to PatriotMobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. 100% of their customer service reps speak English. Get free activation when you use offer code CR. You keep your number. You keep your phone number. It's that simple. The only thing you don't keep are the decrepit values, the spying, and the Chinese relationships of T-Mobile, AT&T, and Verizon. So make the switch today. Join our movement at PatriotMobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. So, folks, I promised myself today I, I would just take a brief vacation from domestic politics. I'm just in such a bad mood, and I'm really dark today. You don't want to hear me talk about it. So I figured we'll move halfway around the world, but not really, because our guest today is someone that I consider a modern-day Montesquieu. Uh, he's an Israeli national, but understands our politics more than a lot of our leaders, even on the right. Yoram Hazani, he's the chairman of the Edmund Burke Foundation, president of the Herzl Institute, and he's been a leading voice for national conservatism, uh, kind of moving away from s- sort of the old Republican Party, Tory Party, probably what you have there in Israel as well in terms of their version of the right, uh, and to adapt to the challenges we have today, he, he has a must-read book, Conservatism, A Rediscovery, uh, Invigorating Conservative Political Thought, not just in Israel or in America, but globally. And he fell in love with America when he came to America to learn at Princeton and Rutgers in 1984. He was the first editor of Princeton's conservative student journal, The Princeton Tory. And he lives in Jerusalem today with his wife and nine children. How about that? You could follow him at Y Hazani, H-A-Z-O-N-Y on Twitter. Hey, Yoram, welcome to Blaze Media for the first time. Hello, Daniel. Uh, good to meet you. Did I get that right? Nine children? Uh, it, it's, it's absolutely true. 
that there's uh, th there's nine children and and uh, four grandchildren, and uh, God willing, uh, some more on the way. Wow, I'm I'm busting at the seams with my four, and uh, I don't know how you handle that there, but um, obviously, you know, you look at what's going on. You and I talking for the first time; we've never talked before. We're gonna have a challenge keeping ourselves within time. So I'm going to kind of weave back and forth a little bit between your views on American politics and what's going on in Israel, why Americans should care. But just first, I want to get your overall observation that you've put in a lot of work. You've been here a lot back to America trying to help lead a global conservative movement. And lo and behold, this war breaks out in Israel, uh, really catalyzed by this massacre of unspeakable proportions and i want to get your take on the global intifada how you're seeing in the west and even in america massive amounts of organized pro-hamas uh elements on college campuses but really everywhere how does that fit into your agenda for national conservatism well, look, this, there is, in fact, this global pro-Hamas uh, movement that you're describing. I would hesitate to separate it from the, you know, from, from the global left more, more generally. I mean, probably your listeners are familiar with, it, with the, the, the concept of intersectionality, which is basically a theory of uh, woke neo-Marxists, which says uh, that all of the different oppressed groups have to stick together mm. and form a single front. So, um, so right now we're seeing, you know, a a worldwide campaign under the slogan of um, uh, Israel is committing genocide in in Gaza. But there's an awful lot of similarities, and in fact, I I, I suspect a very large overlap in the activists and the funding sources. If we go back to the summer of 2020, we look at like the big cultural revolution of, of 2020, which was, um, it, it was built around the slogan of Black Lives Matter, defund the police, you know, seemingly things that have absolutely nothing to do uh, with uh, uh, with uh, Israel or or Islam. But it's the same coalition. And I, I, yep. I, I think that this is, uh, this is, in fact, the second step in that cultural revolution, where in 2020, the goal was to delegitimize and expel uh, conservatives. When I say conservatives, I mean, like, you know, like Trump or DeSantis supporters, let's say nationalist conservatives, people who are, who are strongly conservative. Uh, and in 2020, the goal was to delegitimize and expel these nationalist conservatives from legitimate uh, debate in in America, and in in fact, that helped elect Joe Biden president, was delegitimizing Trump and all of his supporters. And uh, th this this time around, th it, the 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 special target is uh, is uh, Jews, who um, the the you know the woke neo Marxists see the Jews as their opponents, which you know some people will find ironic since that they've gotten. Uh, probably way too much support from from progressive Jews. Sure, but, but at this point, I think uh, I think you can see clearly that that from the perspective of the the woke left, 
this is just a like an obvious next step. First, they you know first they expelled the uh, uh, the, the the Christians and and conservative nationalists, and now they're going on to to expel the uh, the, the Jews. Um, <laughs> it, it's all part of like a big strategy, a second step in the Cultural Revolution, because it definitely you're seeing the same strategies. You're seeing cars surrounded in American cities by pro uh, PLO or whatever these guys are. And I, I've noticed this for years, by the way, the cross-pollination. Any leftist cause, so it could be a global warming event, it could be an open borders event, it will always have some sort of Palestinian dogma thrown in there, almost as if they're, they've always been the global George Floyd. Um, so you're definitely seeing that all over the place. What What's your feeling on... Immigration. Do you believe America has crossed the Rubicon like Europe, or is it still salvageable? Well, you know, I, <laughs> I, I don't, um, I, I, I don't think human beings are particularly good at, you know, at foreseeing the future, and I'm, uh, uh, and, and so I, I'm careful not to uh, announce that one country or another is finished because I, I think you know, if you if you know your Bible, you know that those kinds of uh, things are, are, they don't always happen the way you think they're going to. Um, but uh, to your question on immigration, look, I think a very, very basic problem with, um, with American and European liberalism going, you know, going, going back uh, to the Second World War is uh, that it's based on this worldview that, you know, that asserts that uh, in, instead of seeing the world as consisting of, you know, families and tribes and nations, and understanding that there's intense competition, you know, sometimes hatred and war, but always uh, competition among different groups. So that that's sort of like a, a traditional conservative way, a realist way of viewing the world. But most liberals in 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 America, Enlightenment liberals, don't see the world that way. They think that uh, that everybody is. Uh, uh, is by nature perfectly free and perfectly equal. Uh, those are quotes from John Locke. And if everybody's free and equal, then you know, then how could you be so so hard-hearted as to say that somebody from another country, if, if that person is perfectly free and perfectly equal, that they shouldn't be allowed to cross your border and and gain citizenship in your country? So this is you know th this is a very very deep divide between uh, liberals. You know, including liberals in the Republican Party, liberals both in the Republican yep. and the Democratic Party. We just played and, a clip of Nikki Haley saying we need to go to the corporations and ask them what they need. That is her sole criterion for immigration. Yeah, so I I, I think the the first criterion for immigration has to be um, has to be whether whether your country, whether your nation. Uh, is in condition to to uh, to absorb and assimilate um, uh, millions of uh, additional immigrants. Now, so sometimes that that's the case, and it, I'm not saying that it can never be useful. Sometimes it can be, be useful, but um, what uh, is difficult for liberals to understand is that. Uh, that Im immigration is not a matter of individuals immigrating. Uh, you you absorb uh, groups, you absorb families and and mm. clans and tribes and 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 if they're large enough, you're absorbing foreign nations. And the uh, to disarm uh, their uh, their cohesion and bring about a situation where they're loyal to their uh, their their new nation, it's certainly possible. 
in history, nations have adopted tribes that have you know crossed their borders and become loyal to them. But it's not a foregone conclusion. I think both America and Europe at this point uh, have have uh, simply um, co completely misjudged how divisive uh, bringing. Yep. Uh, tens of millions of people from, you know, from the Middle East. All cultures are equal. So they thought that just like we brought in the Irish and Italians and Eastern European uh, Jews and German Catholics, well, you know, you bring in the Middle East, you bring in North Africa, it's going to be the same thing. And I think what we're all seeing at these demonstrations, it's not just that they hate, you know, death to the Jews and obviously want Israel destroyed. They don't exactly love their host country, whether it's the ones in America, whether it's in France or Britain. Um, and, and that's the subversiveness we brought in. And look, I just hope it's not too late. Obviously, yesterday we talked with the Florida Attorney General about individual red states trying to uh, reclaim control that they had in the 1800s over immigration and to try to reverse this, at least on a, on a smaller scale. Um, going back to Israel itself. So, you know, I was I was concerned when I when you know, when the war started, I wasn't sure if the Israeli infantry was up to the task. But from where I sit, it looks it looks like they're being very successful. Could you give us a brief update on strategically where things sit in Gaza and how much the Biden administration's pressure is hampering them, how much they're listening to them, or are they just doing what they need to do? Sure. Well, look, the the, the Israeli army has um, has uh, uh, bisected uh, the Gaza Strip. Just just so your your listeners uh, uh, are, are are aware, Gaza City it's in the northern part of the Gaza Strip. Um, Gaza City is about 45 miles from Tel Aviv. It's about 50 miles from Jerusalem. And uh, in 2005, in, in an effort to exchange land for peace, uh, Israel withdrew every single Jew, every Israeli soldier, every Jewish civilian from the Gaza Strip and from Gaza City. And the graves, and it, too. <laughs> right, absolutely everything. And uh, the... The Palestinians then had in Gaza, you know, two million Palestinians had uh, for the next 18 years uh, what is de facto an independent Palestinian state. People are always talking about let's give them an independent state. And uh, we tried this experiment. And the, uh, the, the result of Israel leaving in 2005 was that in 2006, the West wanted elections in Gaza. So there were elections. And Hamas, uh, the you know the, the, these uh, Islamic supremacist butchers, uh, won the election. By the way, they won the election both in Gaza and in the West Bank. In the West Bank, they were suppressed, <laughs> meaning their their vote was overturned uh, in order to prevent them from taking power. Um, the the West tried to do the same thing in Gaza, but by 2007, the Hamas had killed or expelled all of the PLO thugs who were competing with them and so for the from 2007 until 20 until today 16 years we've had hamas uh uh bombarding israel with missiles you know which is like just imagine like you know 16 years of missile bombardment for from tijuana against san diego or from baltimore to washington and there've been there've been a few wars uh, like actual wars where Israel uh, I invaded uh, in order to try to s teach them a lesson. At this point, 
um, Israel's done with that. We have a, a wall-to-wall co- coalition after the the uh, horrendous massacres of October 7th and 8th, uh, in, in, in which 1,200 Israelis uh, were, were, were killed, dismembered, raped, and a couple of hundred taken hostage. So at this point, I think Israel's basically done with um, trying to uh, just punish Hamas. The goal is to eliminate Hamas and any possibility of uh, an independent Hamas-like government ever arising in Gaza again. Uh, so Israel has bisected. Israel is uh, uh, bisected the, the Gaza Strip, the city of Gaza, which is the the, the heart of the Gazan government and terror and, uh, organization, is surrounded on all sides. And uh, at this point, the the estimates are, and of course these could be way off. The estimates are that there are still about fifteen thousand Hamas. Uh, fighters hold up in Gaza City. Israel is doing everything it can to evacuate all uh, civilians, non-combatants from uh, Gaza City. Uh, most of them are gone at this point, but uh, we're, we're looking at what is likely to be a, a prolonged siege as Israel uh, tightens its uh, grip on, on Gaza City. So, Obviously, until now, I mean, they've taken casualties, but it looks like it's pretty good. Is there a concern that a lot of these guys fled to the southern portion and they're going to have to then go into the south? Um, I, I, I'm sure that some some of them have fled to the south, although, you know, we don't we don't have accurate numbers. I think that the uh, the government strategy is uh, is, first of all, to uh, to secure the north, um, which is something that uh, um, look you're right that it looks like it's going very well right now. But I really should caution listeners. You know, it, it, it's a fool's errand to to predict the the way that a war is going to go. And uh, right now, it's going much better than anyone predicted. For sure. But but we don't we don't know whether the, where those fourteen fifteen thousand. Uh, fighters are. Are they still in Gaza City or did they move to the south or are they underground in the hundreds of miles of, of, of terror tunnels, uh, which have, have not all been destroyed yet? We don't know where they are. And uh, uh, the, the, the goal makes sense to, to um, lay siege to Gaza City, wait them out as much as possible because they're going to run out of fuel um, within within a month or two, and and then they'll have to come out of the ground. They won't be able to fuel their 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 uh, 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 the, the the ventilation systems for the underground tunnels. So look, this this is this is going to take a while, and uh, we should be prepared for surprises. We don't we don't know how it's going to go. Yeah, and all the, all the while, the more this drags out, obviously, the more the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, leadership in the Western countries will continue to inflame our streets um, in the north. So I want to get your you know, comment. Daniel, can, yeah, Daniel, sure. can I just say something? I, I, I believe that the um, that the woke neo-Marxist alliance with the pro-Hamas Islamists in America and Europe, uh, I believe that they are planning on running this uh, um, worldwide intifada through the American election next November. So, uh, you know, it, 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 explain Israel's, what that means in, in terms of how are they going to interfere? Well, look, look, the, again, go back to the George Floyd riots, which, you know, be, began 
six months before the American election uh, in the United States in, in 2020. Uh, when I was watching it, and I think probably lots of people were watching these, the, you know, the burning of 200 cities and uh, the, you know, the, 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 the chaos and, and, and uh, uh, shooting of police and, I mean, just horrific violence throughout America. And my reaction was to think this is going to play into Trump's hands. This is going to, sure. the, the, the Republicans are just going to run like, on Like with lock. Nixon in 68. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I thought this will, you know, they'll run on a law and order ticket and they'll win in a, in a landslide. But you'll see that that those of us who thought that were wrong and the uh, neo-Marxist strategists who were doing this, they were actually right because their view was the the violence in the streets is just is, is a threat to say to people, look, if you leave Trump in power, if you leave conservatives in power, then then we're going to do even more to you. We'll destroy your country. And they intimidated, you know, they, they intimidated Americans into saying, all we want is peace. All we want is peace. We don't want to fight. We, we just want peace. So let's get, do what they want. Let's get rid of Trump. And, and, and then we'll have peace. And to a certain degree, that's what happened. Kind of sounds like Israel, <laughs> the way you're describing it. Like, you know, what Hamas and others have done for years, and they've browbeat them into concessions until now because it was so bad. So that's what it is politically. Hey, you wouldn't want your cities on fire. So you believe that this is a rerun. This is 2.0, George Floyd 2.0. Now, I want to I wanna go to the American right. So obviously you're probably the best person to ask because you're you're involved as a thought leader on the American right even though you're you're an Israeli um so what I'm finding is there is some confusion even among my colleagues a lot of people are very confused on the one hand you know you painted a very crystal clear vision how the Palestinian cause is really the cause celebre of the neo-marxists and it's been that way for quite some time but on the other hand, you do have some voices that they're constantly hearing Republicans talk about, oh, Israel needs more money. And, and you know, it sounds too much to them like Ukraine. They have PTSD from that. Wait, you know, we have so many problems here. We got the economy. We got the border. We got the FBI targeting. Um, what, what do I care about Israel? I mean, you know, what, what's going on there? Is that the new current thing? These are some questions I've gotten. What would you say to them in what way is Israel's battle against Hamas and Iran in general important to them? And how will this not draw America into, you know, more foreign entanglements that obviously the movement that you're much a part of wants to stay away from? Yeah, it's a very good question. Look, I, I, I mean, People who are interested can can read my book, The Virtue of Nationalism. I I, I am a I have been for years a uh, a, a a harsh critic of uh, liberal internationalism or you know the rules based international international order. All of these euphemisms, which basically the, the they all amount to the theory that uh, the United States uh, knows what's right for every every country in the world. Uh, American uh, I, uh, liberal ideas should be exported, and wherever there's resistance, America should uh, uh, use economic or even military muscle to try to impose liberalism on Afghanistan or or Iraq. The whole enterprise, I, I, I think, was 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 really kind of crazy from the beginning, and it is a, 
reasonably you know, created a, a a reaction, a nationalist reaction, both in uh, America, in Britain, in in uh, uh, all almost all European countries. There's a nationalist reaction against the theory that uh, that we should uproot our own traditions at home and then use our universal liberal ideas in order to conquer the whole world and, and create like a kind of one world kumbaya European Union kind of government for everything. So I, I, I think these are all terrible ideas. And I, and I'm, I'm, as you say, I'm, I'm personally, uh, very close and very involved with, uh, uh, the, the, the leadership both in America and in Britain and in other countries, uh, trying to get an authentic nationalist conservative movement. Now, when you when you ask, is is nationalist conservatism, which thinks, it, which focuses on the you know the, the the national interests of America, the national traditions of America, uh, national cohesion of America, and the same for other countries, that each country should should focus on uh, on its own interests and 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 uh, and its own strength. Does that mean that you have to be what they like to call an isolationist, somebody who ignores everything that's happening on the planet and just focuses on what's happening at yeah. home? Now, I think that that Trump and his administration actually were pretty good in developing what, uh, at a certain point, um, Mike, Mike Anton and others uh, called the Trump Doctrine. And the, the Trump Doctrine said... Look, the goal is to reduce American involvement overseas. Both the spending, like the you know the trillions of dollars in all these crazy wars, and also the 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 loss of life, like the you know the 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 yeah. the fact that young young Americans and Brits and others have to you know go spend spend years at a time in in crazy places like Afghanistan, and the Trump the Trump doctrine was. Um, the the theory was that the best thing to do would be to focus American attention on those uh, democratic countries that are cap are willing and able to become actually independent in terms of of security. All right. In other words, countries yeah. that are willing to send their own sons and daughters to the military, countries that are willing to to, you know, not to, to pay 1% of GDP, but 5%, let's say, of GDP in order to turn themselves into a substantial power. And Trump, you know, if, if you remember his visit to Poland, which is Poland is like, you know, was a, was a big example of such a such a country. And, and, and Israel's another example. And he wanted countries like, like, like uh, Britain, India, uh, Japan, Australia, th these kinds of countries, he wanted to build them up so that they could do the work of defend of of taking care of their own interests without having to drag America into sending its own troops every time something happens, and I I think that that is the uh, that's the right direction, and so when we're talking about Ukraine, we should ask ourselves: Is Ukraine a candidate to be, <laughs> you know, like you know, like an independent country that's taking care of its own own defense? Well. Uh, no, because the first thing that the Ukrainians uh, uh, started trying to get out of America was for for them to join NATO so that American troops would be involved in defending yes. them. You know, and it's good. It's a good thing that you know that the that that uh, uh, that the Biden administration has resisted this. Uh, but but for, for sure, if 
uh, Zelensky could get American troops, then he'd he'd take them in an instant. And you should so your listeners should be very clear about this that Israel has its own military doctrine going back 75 years. Israel does not accept military, the military involvement of soldiers from other countries. The entire point of the state of Israel at a certain level is for Jews to be able to defend themselves. Now, does that, does that mean, you know, that we can, you know, produce all of the bombs that we need? You know, it, no, it, it doesn't mean that. And so uh, Israelis are certainly very grateful for uh, the the Americans being uh, w- willing to to uh, uh, supply some munitions, you know, on uh, on an almost daily basis. But let's draw a very very clear line. No one in Israel, of any party, has the slightest interest in American troops being involved in our war. Just the opposite. We want to fight our own wars. We we hope that the Americans will let us fight our war ourselves, our own way. So let me ask you the flip to that. Obviously, you know, as you as you mentioned, a minimalist approach in the Middle East for America is it puts America first. Also helps Israel. Um, the the notion that we have Syrian uh, troops in Syria and Iraq um, getting injured, protecting the very Shiite militias that then attack us. Crazy. Um, it's crazy. It, it, it's crazy for America. It also gets in Israel's way too. Um, we've cleared out a. Shiite corridor from Tehran to the Mediterranean. We bailed them out of the uh, Sunni insurgency so they can go and harass Israel. That's all good. But when it comes to the foreign aid, this is where I'm very torn because we have watched for decades as America uses that aid to hang Israel. I mean, it started with Oslo and everything past that. Uh, I'm just seeing now the New York Sun has an article about a conversation with the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, who called uh, Gallant his counterpart in Israel and emphasized the need to uh, not attack Hezbollah. And he questioned the Israeli airstrikes in Lebanon. Uh, obviously, it's really bad there. You have tens of thousands of people evacuated from northern Israel. Um, the Biden administration is treating that as a preemptive strike when, in fact, Hezbollah is keeping up a perpetual state of low intensity conflict. Um, you have the Biden administration just gave they just unfroze 10 billion in assets to Iran. They fund the Palestinian Authority. They fund Hamas through the humanitarian fake aid. They fund the Lebanese armed forces that likely blinded Israel's intelligence. And then on the flip side, we have an element on the right that you can't blame them. They're like, look, we're broke. We're done with this. I don't find Israel aid as as offensive as Ukraine, but we need to move away from all of it. So what I'm bothered by and I know I'm taking a while to get to this, but I think this is important for you to navigate our our listeners. Um, what you have now is what I'm finding the pro the Jewish and Christian pro Israel organizations. They focus the bulk of their Israel advocacy on aid, kind of almost making Israel like a welfare state, rather than the policies. So, isn't it more important to just fight the funding of Israel's enemies and the policies of restraining Israel than just sending them endless aid. Isn't that something we ultimately need to wean off because it's become abusive? Yeah, look, look, I think that on this question as well, uh, it's it's worth 
looking at it in terms of, again, again, this theory of a, a universal American empire, universal lib American liberal empire. And if you just take a look at at, at Europe, you know, where where the you have the same kind of situation where uh, American forces are are are, are still on, on bases throughout Europe. American money is constantly pouring into into the defense of Europe, and uh, and 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 there the Europeans don't even send their kids to the army. The Europeans aren't even willing to pay for their own uh, their, their own defenses. Most of them. I mean, there there are some exceptions, obviously. Obviously. Poland, you could say to a degree, uh, Britain, um, even France a little bit, but but fundamentally the American relationship with Europe is America has reduced Europe to a, 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 a dependent continent, a, a series of protectorates, dependencies. These are not countries capable of defending themselves. And if you ask how did we get there? Well, one of the reasons that we got there is because American administrations wanted it to be that way. They, 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 they had this belief that the world would be safer if American troops are taking care of security basically for everybody. And if, if, you, if you move away from that theory, if you're willing to say, look, Ukraine is, is the Europeans' problem. If you know if 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 they want to 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 defend themselves at the Ukrainian border, then they should go ahead and do that. But if they don't want to do that, then then th that's their decision. It's not America's primary concern. By the way, I think America's primary concern is China. And so, if you take this uh, this idea again, this Trump doctrine of uh, strong allies, creating strong allies keep, capable of defending themselves. Now, each one is going to be a little bit different. Um, I, 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 my intuition is like your intuition, that the uh, that uh, American aid, to, military aid to Israel at this point, uh, those, you know, whatever it is, three, four billion dollars a year, uh, that money goes straight to American, most of it goes straight to American aerospace. And we really do need a tough uh, a, a tough conversation yes. about is America willing to st to to uh, to uh, pare back the uh, subsidies to American aerospace on the understanding that that would free up Israel to do things like like producing you know manufacturing uh, its own weapon systems. Uh, it, I don't know if everybody remembers the, the Lavi that I Israel designed a combat fighter aircraft um, in the 1980s, and the the way we ended up with the, the current situation is the Americans didn't want the competition, among <laughs> other things, didn't want the competition from an Israeli fighter aircraft, and the deal was don't just squash the program, and we'll provide you with all the latest yes. fighter aircraft that you need, yes. right? And look, I'm not, I, I don't mean to make this insidious. I'm, there were all sorts of reasons in every direction, but a renegotiation in which Israel, which is now, you know, economically and militarily and diplomatically and demographically now a much stronger country than it was a generation ago. I, I think a renegotiation which, which realistically uh, assesses um, what what is it that America really needs to do to help Israel? I I, I don't think it's primarily financial at this point. I think I I, I think that um, 
that during wartime, every country in wartime uh, becomes uh, stressed, goes under tremendous stress because it's unable to produce enough uh, weaponry and, uh, and other things. So every country when it's in wartime needs to be able to rely on countries that are not in wartime, their allies, uh, with 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 supplies of uh, of ammunition and logistics and 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 diplomatic cover, think of the, uh, uh, Britain during the Falklands War, right? Reagan could have sent the American uh, armed forces to conquer the Falklands. It would have been the easiest thing to do, but he wanted to build up Thatcher and Britain as an independent player, yes. and and so the 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 British did. You know what? In, at the time, people remember it. People thought it was impossible. How could Britain defeat Argentina? And you know, a few hundred miles off of Argentina's shores, America supplied made sure that there was a, a, a steady stream of, of munitions. They helped with logistics. They helped with intelligence. But the British did the fighting. Not a single American soldier was involved. And that that should be the model. Is in wartime, you're willing to 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 supply munitions. I, if that has to be a loan, then it can be a loan. Yes. it doesn't have to be a gift, right? It's, and and it, I think but, politically that will be better because my concern is that the left has become. I mean, it's completely anti-Israel. You have these fake Democrats like Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries that play a double game, but ultimately stab them in the back when it matters. They'll throw money at them. Um, but then stab them in the back on policies, continue to perpetuate the disgusting two-state solution nonsense. And then on the right, over time, people are going to be like, look, we're hurting here. We're bankrupt. Israel is, like you said, is not what they were a generation ago. Let them at least pay for it. And I think that would make everyone happy and free them up. But ultimately, is this an internal problem in Israel in the sense that what I have seen over the years is that I mean, you guys, I mean, I can't even follow your political system. It's so messed up. But what I have seen is that there has been this muddled messaging that is communicated to the Americans. So no one, I mean, even establishment Republicans at this point, no one on the right in America supports a two-state solution. But in Israel, they keep sending mixed messages. Um you know, Netanyahu always talks about annexing, and yet he won't even annex the consensus areas around Jerusalem. Um, you know, before every election, he kind of dangles that around and then doesn't even do that. Um, so you have this muddled status. Do you think that there's the political will in Israel now after October 7th to finally yeah. say, look, there is no solution to having an Arab terrorist government, call it the PA, Fatah, Hamas, whatever, um, if they want to, if individual Arabs want to live here, like some of the Israeli Arabs serve in the military, be patriotic, more power to you. But if not, then you have to leave. And ultimately, we need to claim control over, you know, whether it's, you know, much of Gaza, but certainly Judea and Samaria. Is there the appetite for that? Or are we going to continue the same cycle? You know, I'm not sure that this issue is is as internal to Israel, you know, I, I mean, certainly it is internal to to, uh, to to Israel. We did, I mean, we we had the Labor Party uh, sign the catastrophic Oslo Accords mm -hmm. in 1993 that you know brought brought the PLO and then the Hamas uh, to to power uh, in territories governed by Israel. But uh, but again, this is part of a a global scene. Don't forget that. 
uh, the Oslo Accords were in 1993. 1992 was, you know, the erasing of all the borders in Europe with the Treaty of Maastricht. That, you know, th th that 1990, 91, those were the, you know, the, the New World Order speeches of the, you know, the, the Bush administration that the whole world was 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 going to live in peace under a single rule of law. And uh, you, you're right that the Israeli left bought into this hook, line, and sinker. Uh, they, I mean, they're they're a part of the inter international left, or they they were, uh, but notice that that um, uh, that the Israeli voting public has punished the Labour Party for this. The the Labour Party um, has been uh, annihilated as a force mm. in Israeli politics because Israelis uh, earlier than than Americans and Europeans woke up to the reality that the Oslo Accords had had brought catastrophe on 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 Israel. So you you're you're asking good and important questions. As of October 7th, right now we are seeing things that we've never seen before in Israel. And I, I and I I I don't mean this I don't mean to to exaggerate this. What about I mean, brothers I, in arms like Israel's Antifa? What, what is the state of play in Israel's left? Because I want, Yoram, I want you to give some sort of hope to to us that there, this is not a bottomless pit and it could get bad enough that eventually the left will wake up. Mm. Well, again, you're asking <laughs> you, you, you're asking me for those crystal ball questions. Let me just give you a biblical answer, okay? I mean, just as a as a believing believing Jew, this is my worldview. I think that that uh, uh, that there is always the possibility that evil is simply that that a country will become so evil and so corrupt that it's wiped wiped off the face of the earth like Sodom. Uh, but there's also the story of Nineveh in the book of yep. Jonah, where, where you know, the Assyrians are as evil as can possibly be, and still they 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 repent and and God gives them another chance. And I don't I don't think I think these things are very complicated. I don't you can see the trajectory, uh, but you can't see the outcome for sure. So instead of telling you what's going to happen, let me just tell you what's happening now because that I think we can see very mm -hmm. clearly. Right now in Israel. We we are seeing something that none of us in our lifetimes have ever seen politically before. There is wall to wall agreement in Israel, all political parties, government and opposition, that that Hamas needs to be annihilated, and that what whatever happens in Gaza afterwards, Netanyahu has already said repeatedly, and this has been repeated by his coalition partners on the left, uh, by, 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 uh, uh, by Gantz, that, the, uh, that after the war, security in Gaza will be in the hands of the Israelis. Now, you'll notice, what does that rule out? Well, it rules out two-state solution. And independent mm -hmm. Gaza, like I said, we already did that. We're not going to do that again. Uh, it rules out uh, bringing the PLO, uh, the the uh, the corrupt, wretched, and you know utterly <laughs> utterly anti-Semitic PLO that governs Ramallah and and uh, and other cities in the West Bank. We've ruled out bringing them in to be the government in Gaza, which is what the Biden okay, administration, so of course, wants. Well, the Biden administration is explicit. They want a two-state solution. They want to bring in the PLO and create an independent state in Pal of Palestine in Gaza. 
So what what we have right now is zero patience for these kinds of ideas among Israeli politicians. And th this is something people are going to have to get used to because we've never seen it before. Th there is complete unity on this. There is no Israeli Jew uh, you know, it, represented by any kind of formation, uh, elected formation in the parliament, is uh, is willing to accept the kinds of uh, uh, proposals that the Biden administration is proposing, which are wow. basically re return to the Oslo Accords. They want, they're saying, you know, so many Israelis died. So many wars were fought. Mm. Let's let's learn nothing from this and just go back again and do do Oslo all over again. We'll have another, you know, Palestinian state or another South Lebanon. That's pretty astounding you know. what you're saying because the Israeli left has been pretty odious over the years. So that is that is astounding. And just up until last month, they were pretty feisty and active, obviously, uh, you know, pushing for the judicial oligarchy that you guys still have there and, you know, haven't reformed, unfortunately. So that gives me okay. hope. The only thing I will well, say, Yoram... I, I, think, it, I think it's really yeah. important to n notice that most, most of those killed and dismembered and raped during uh, uh, the, the, the massacres of October 7th, 7th and 8th, most of them were left of center yes, yes. voters those are kibbutzim those are left communities those are peace peacenik communities I, i've talked on the show and, one after another all these stories of how the ones that were dismembered they would spend their life helping with medical care or these political organizations advocating for a palestinian state and all this stuff and it's i i said it's almost like a metaphor of the west what happened to those people, you know, all these countries just brought these people in, thought we'd give them a, a chance, and then they went and, and destroyed them. So I'm very heartened to see that there is a bottom. There is a point where a, a, an organized left in a country could wake up. Um, I'd like to think if San Francisco were attacked in the same way, it would uh, we'd see the same results. But I would say the counterpoint to that is that Israel is unique in the sense that it's funny if you look at any Western country, just because of the nature of Zionism and this being the only Jewish state, immigration is of like-minded people that bolster the patriotism of the country, whereas in in West other Western countries like America. It's we just don't have the same America that we all grew up in, and and it's becoming more and more diluted and attenuated, both from the external forces and then internally because of the education system. So I'd like to think if what what what's this to the scale of American population? Forty, fifty thousand dead or something? If we had that, we would wake up and we wouldn't worry about uh you know bombing the drug cartels in Mexico and and harming so-called civilians but who knows uh we probably would i don't think we're going to reclaim the post 911 uh unity um but but I, you know cuz it's funny you're mentioning this that it could get so bad that even the left uh wakes up i started the show out by talking about um just you know forget about um the left, but even even decent Republicans that are good human beings, they just don't have fighting them like Speaker Mike Johnson. I, I was saying, is there anything the left could do that would prompt you to say, 
you know what, we are going to fight you on the budget. It's like, so I joked around saying the Biden administration could hire Hamas to come in and rape all Republican women, and they'll say we can't have a government shutdown, we can't defund the program. So maybe there is a point it could get bad enough, but um, that I think that's a very powerful observation. Any closing thoughts before we close up here? Yeah, sure. I Look, I, I would just say that the... Um, the, we're fighting something very, very, very big. Okay, the the, the Cultural Revolution of 2020 uh, succeeded. You know, it wasn't just you know burning a few buildings in each city. It succeeded in ending the liberal hegemony, the control, the 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 the, the rule of liberal ideas in most of the leading liberal institutions in America, from Harvard University to the New York Times to CNN. Um, and and onto the government bureaucracy. Now that's a very very big shift. The change from the old liberalism to the new woke neo Marxism. I'm not a, I'm not a liberal of any kind, by the way. I mean I'm I'm very critical of 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 the old liberalism too. Sure. But the but the but the shift that vast shift has has it means that that conservatives nationalists. Uh, religious Christians, Orthodox Jews, are 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 now facing a much more aggressive, much more vicious, and intolerant opponent than at any time in in you know that that we can any of us can can remember. And on the one hand, that's scary. On the other hand, um, in terms of the question that you're asking, yes, this the kinds of things that are happening have the power. To wake people up, they have the power yes. to cause people to 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 notice something terrible that 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 they didn't ever think would happen, and to do tshuva, to repent, to reevaluate, to rethink their lives. Repent. That's and the only the only the only solution. We we need repentance, and 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 look, I think you're hopefully going to see that with some American Jews that are mugged by the taste of the fist of Antifa and uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and and all these organizations that they coddled. But uh, I think broadly, my, my fear is things are going to have to get worse here, hopefully not of the same scale uh, before things get better. We're way out, out of time. I wish I could pick my pick your brain on so many other things. Where could people find more about your work? Well, you the you can start by following me on Twitter y h a z o n y y chazoni uh, on Twitter, and I have a a, a website yoramchazoni.org uh, where you can you can see all my, uh, my 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 books on conservatism, on on the Bible, Tanakh, on on Zionism and the state of Israel. There's uh, a, a lot to look at there. Now, obviously, political, biblical worldview, so much important stuff. Again, at y chazoni on Twitter. Uh, and and make sure to pick up a copy of Conservatism, a Rediscovery, a lot of good gems in there. Yoram, I suspect you're going to be back many other times. It's been very enlightening. Uh, God bless you. Keep uh, Keep safe there, you and your kids, all right? Thank you, Daniel. Take care. So, folks, that was a good kind of deep dive relief away from some of our domestic politics. A very interesting guy. I, again, I, I compare him to Montesquieu. So he's not an American, but cares deeply and understands deeply about the American system and what it was, what it ought to be. And, uh, you know, he's great biblical worldview as well. Great thought leader. His his books are tremendous. 
And, uh, you know, hats off to anyone with with nine kids. I know he's got some serving in the Israeli military right now. So he's got skin in the game. Um, exit question. Exit question. So we all know, I mean, the line we keep coming back to is that clearly things have not gotten bad enough. Do you think if we had that sort of style attack on American soil, we would have that degree of unity or am I correct in asserting that it's something unique about just kind of being more homogenous? The immigration they're getting are religious Jews, so they obviously believe in the system, whereas we're getting subversive forces here. We're too balkanized. Um, that's that's obviously a much smaller country. I don't know. But I, I do think that if we played our cards right, you could recreate Israel's kind of reformation, rejuvenation, repentance, hopefully in a small state. Something to think about. Again, email me your comments, questions, concerns. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. Thank you for listening.